Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the MLS Bench Podcast. I am Joey. With me today are Andres and Matt. And today it's a very, very MLS-y uh, pod for you guys. Um, a couple big road results for some teams that are certainly, uh, you know, require points at this point in time. A lot of the big marquee matchups didn't necessarily go to plan and didn't produce the kind of games that we were hoping to talk about. So uh, we're going to hit on some of the, um, you know, the ESPN Plus games, the games that didn't necessarily hit the national news. Um, but produce some really big results. Uh, also, later in the pod, um, some transfer talk as the crew bring in Cucho Hernandez from Watford. Uh, also, Lorenzo Insignia, the big Toronto signing, uh, will be unveiled this Friday, and his next games or his first game for the club probably coming sometime in the next month. So that's um, very very exciting stuff as the league looks to take a step forward. Uh, with that signing, and obviously um, Open Cup going on now, the big upset last night, uh, we're recording this Wednesday, uh, two big uh, games tonight, including the Hudson River Derby, and the third division side, Union Omaha, taking on Sporting KC, that's all coming up later in the pod, but first, as I touched on, we had some big away wins uh, this week, um, and just some big results in general, so some draws in there as well, Vancouver, um, SKC, Austin all getting big road wins, Colorado, Charlotte among those drawing um, against uh, some good opposition. Uh, And so I'm just going to throw it out there. Uh, Any games that you guys saw um, that you particularly want to touch on some of those teams? Uh, I guess, Andres, I'll start with you first. What's one game that you really uh, were looking at this week and either surprised or you think that we can, you know, start to draw something from the outcome of that one? Yeah, so for me, as you touched on, there was a ton of you know pretty big results for teams maybe either lower in the standings, um, needing points, or teams that haven't uh, you know been particularly established over the last few years um, over t- over some teams that that have been or that are higher in the standings. But you know, the one I think maybe is has the biggest long term impact, or I can take you know maybe some more um, strong takeaways is the Philly-Cincy game. Um, because I think we all agree that Philly is, you know, one of the better teams um, in the East or in all of MLS, uh, you know, probably a top three or four team in the East. Um, and Cincy's been, you know, pretty clearly the worst team in MLS. Um, and we've seen signs from them coming along. Um, but, you know, I, I'm a little bit more difficult to convince that, that things are, are real and are sustainable. And I thought going to Philly and going down one nothing um, in the past that would have been you know a recipe for disaster. And you know they hung tough, uh, found an equalizer, and and you know took away a point from from one of the best teams in the in the league. And that that for me was you know the result that I I say okay. Um, people have been talking about Cincy as a playoff team, and I haven't really been buying it. And this type of result kind of makes me. Uh, think twice and maybe start coming around on them. Yeah, I I just want to bring up the fact that I believe that since he was without Lucho Acosta for this match, uh, so for them to be able to go through and get this result on the road in Philadelphia is pretty impressive. And he came on, but he came on like in the 70, oh. I don't have it in front of me, something like 75th or 80th minute. They were already They were already at 1-1 by then. Um, and I don't think he was, you know, particularly influential in it. So, you know, it's not wrong to say that 
this was mostly done without what's probably their best player consistently. So yeah, uh, I mean, take take nothing away from from that from that performance. Yeah, certainly not. Um, we all, at least on this pod, we're all Brandon Vasquez fans. Um, excited to see what he can do moving forward. Maybe even with the national team. Uh, at some stage, uh, he scored a goal in this one. It was a nice goal. Um, I, I know I'm a bad Philly fan for saying this. I was not able to watch a ton of this game. I watched what I could. I had an event going on. But I think for me, as a Philly fan, the tough thing is that these are really games that you have to get results in. You know, Maybe not the worst team um, in the East, obviously. Uh, Cincinnati kind of fighting for those lower-end playoff spots as it stands. But we're, we're also not talking, you know, NYCFC, Red Bulls level here. We're not talking top of the league teams. And the Union have been struggling to get those results recently. Um, uh, dating back to uh, the end of their winning streak, they won uh, five straight games, really, to start the season. Uh, it was a draw and five straight wins. They lost to Toronto, three straight draws, a loss, two draws, a win, and two more draws. They're not getting three points that often. You know, some of those against good teams like LAFC, Nashville, those are good draws. Red Bulls, good draw. Inter-Miami draw. New, uh, New England Revolution, last week. Or not last week, but the, uh, the game before the international break. Uh, draw. We're not, we as the union, are not facing the toughest teams, and yet we're not taking three points. And not always looking particularly convincing either. And that's what's really um, frustrating to me, is that you know, Aura and Carranza are finally getting on the field. Gazdag, the whole midfield is healthy. The back line is as good as it's going to be. Blake is healthy. We're running out of basically a full squad, and that full squad isn't either, you know, getting the results and isn't really looking as good as they probably should at home against an FC Cincinnati side that, let, let's face it, are not in the tier that the Union at least should be in or we think that the Union should be in. So that's what's slightly uh, concerning uh, for me for the Union. Uh, but for Cincinnati, I mean, it, it's, it seems to be coming together. Um, and this is those results that, Andres, you were saying, for those skeptics who say FC Cincinnati, you know, that was an aberration. The three straight um, wins in the league are an aberration or four straight wins. Um, these are the results that they're going to need to start changing opinions. And a draw against the Union is a draw that you'll take every day of the week. And, you know, we're ta- we are talking the union and what is, you know, presumably one of the league's top teams. So I, I think this is a good call for you, Andres, in terms of a-, a well-deserved draw for Cincinnati, outplaying the union for stretches in this game for sure. Um, Do you see anything more from this one that you want to talk about? Yeah, actually, so now that you've touched on the union, one of the concerning things for me from them is we've talked about this Ura and Carranza partnership, um, and now they've got it on the field. Um, a little bit more together, and I think you know we've we've had Corey Burke in the league for for a while, so I think we have a good, pretty good reference point for for kind of what level he's at. And when Burke came on for Ura, he was way more uh, influential in the game, getting into. I mean, he got a yellow card within like ten seconds, but after that, you know, he was winning some headers in the box. He was flicking balls on. He was holding a play, and I saw the Union more dangerous with Burke on the field. Than they were with Aura, and and you know that's not really a good sign for for what you were hoping was your your big uh, n- you know number nine addition along with Carranza going forward. Absolutely, and I think when it comes to the number nine conversation, this is like uh, 
this is the one that the union have had years and still really haven't been able to figure out. Um, and, you know, to the disappointment and potentially costing the union trophies because they everything behind that front line is basically as good as you're going to get it. You know, we're talking, you know, one of the best keepers in the league, one of the best center back pairings in the league, one of the best defensive midfielders in the league. And yet, you know, the number nine position still isn't one that the union have got quite right. Um, to my frustration, obviously, um, I think often it, it you see the subs contributing more than the starters on a consistent basis. And it's a weird thing because it's like, why? Like, it's, this isn't like an aberration, though. And this continues to happen where the sub striker will come on because Jim basically always subs in one of the, you know, backup nines, whether it's Santos or Burke or, you know, if Karan's starting on the bench, you know, whatever. And they always seem to have a bigger impact. And it's like, why can't we get this right at first? Because Corey, Corey Burke will sometimes start, get subbed off. Santos looks good, vice versa. Like, it, it doesn't make sense to me. And yet it's, it is what's holding the union back. Matt, I mean, obviously you're a follower of the league and you've seen the union striker situation kind of play out recently. Is there something I'm missing or is it just like they just never quite seem to get it right? I, I, I'm it's it's uh it's really flummoxing me truly uh because when you look at the profile player that Ur is everything about it seems like it should click and I think that it might be just something that's going to take some time for him to come in and really really integrate with the system where you thought it'd be a little bit quicker hopefully coming from a similar team in Red Bull uh, Salzburg um. I I just think that there needs to be a little bit more um, support probably coming from the midfield. I think going, well, eh, going from the service that was provided from Montero to the service being provided by Gazdag is is a change. But still, I would really expect more from, from Ura and Carranza at this point. They started off really, really hot. I think that they can get back to it. I just, I want to see a little bit more from them. Yeah. Uh, one correction. He came from Bronby in Denmark, but I Bronby, the point thank the you. point is well taken because he was the golden boot winner in Denmark. So I mean, we're talking of a, a striker that has shown uh, on a good team that he can be the the guy. Um, and I think for Orva it's tough because he came in um, beginning of uh, March, played Montreal, looked okay in that game, missed a couple chances, was out the rest of March. Then really started to click, played like every single game in April, was looking good um, versus Nashville in that game, uh, scored his first goal, and then was out for basically the rest of May until the last game versus the Revs. So it's been a little stop start for him. But after that April run where he looked like he was at least, you know, coalescing with the group, it, he wasn't scoring, but he was looking like he was at least coming together, learning the tactics, kind of that, you know, initiation period that all strikers need. Um, it looked like it was going to be there, and then another injury. Uh, I think it was the hammy, and that kind of took him out. So I, it really is still, you know, we'll see what he can do. Uh, eight games is certainly not enough to call him a terrible player with this team, but you want more, obviously. Um, but yeah, I, I think in this game, it, it really was Cincinnati showing that structurally they're a much better team than previous years, and. Obviously, with the addition of Vasquez playing the way he is up top, having that guy who can rely on in many different kinds of situations to, you know, scrap a goal in or 
produce that moment of magic that they haven't had in the past is that's a game changer for them in so many ways. Um, Andres, you want to touch on Vasquez just for a, a brief second, then we can move on. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I guess Danny Higginbotham is is the analyst for the union. Is, is am I right in saying that? Um, yeah. Yep. Him yeah. And JP. And he was uh, he was raving on on Vasquez's movement pretty much throughout the throughout the whole game. And, and you know, Vasquez, this type of player, he can he can hold the ball up. He can he can sneak around in between the in, in between the center backs. He can do you know a little bit of everything pretty well. Um, and you, you saw it a little bit with Atlanta a couple of years ago. And now that he's you know basically getting the, the ninety minutes every game, um, it's really starting to click. Um, and he's still pretty young, so it's it's one of those guys that in there's a kind of glaring hole in the national team roster. You know, whether it's starting number nine or or super sub off the bench, um, keeps playing this way, and, and you never know he's he's got a shot maybe. Um, I know it's it's a conversation online. I'm not sure how, how much of a conversation it is within um, the federation, but you know, hopefully he gets a shot at some point. Yes, certainly. Um, I 100% agree with you there. Uh, you know, as Greg's shown that he wants to bring in, you know, multiple strikers, see what he's got. It might be a little late for this uh, World Cup cycle, but certainly uh, if Vasquez continues his form, a call-up is more likely than not just because he just looks the part. He's a massive striker, first of all. He's a very tall guy um, imposing in the box, and, you know between the head and, um, you know, just kind of the, the, the traditional nine uh, that he can play. He's a heck of a striker. Um, he can finish any way, too. That's yeah. the, and he just brings such a different profile to that team. So I'm still really, really pulling for him to get that, that opportunity. That's 100% what it is. The, just his, you know, the diversity of finish. And, yeah, he's just a heck of a player. Um, and the, goal, the goal this week was super brave because – you know he's coming at Blake with his head. Um, he got he gets kind of banged up on it on the play afterwards. Um, but you know that shows the desire to get after it and score. Uh, and so, you know, I think right now he's on he's on good form and he and he's and he's hungry and and it shows in the results. Yeah, um, he he clearly looks like he has something to prove and is playing like it. Um, that's good for that game, uh, Union and. FC Cincinnati drawing 1-1. Just an update on the standings after that one. Phillies in third, 15 games played uh, in the East, that is. And on 15 games, FC Cincinnati sits eighth, just a, uh, tied with Charlotte on points, one goal less on goal differential, keeping them out of the playoff spot. Um, and so we can move on. Uh, Matt, what was your game that you saw and you loved? I think I might have an inkling of where you're going to go here. My, my sporting blue heart definitely wants to take you to Nashville, but I actually want to go ahead and still look at the top of that East and look at the match that New York City played against Colorado. Um, this was pretty much what you would expect from New York City being able to possess the ball, pass really, really well, and really, really retain the ball, limit any opportunities that uh, Colorado had. But what was a little bit different is they struggled really getting the opportunity to put the ball on frame. Um, they had 16 shots, only four on goal and 
uh, it took a really pretty acrobatic effort from Talos Magna in order to get the Paul pass or uh, ball past um, William Yarbrough. Uh, I think this was a really, really good job by the Colorado defense to limit those really high uh, level opportunities that New York City generally creates. Um, the expected goals came down about 1.3 to 0.3 uh, in favor of New York City. And then Colorado was able to gut out their opportunities. And Michael Barrios, bless him for how many times he did this exact thing against Sporting Kansas City, but found an opportunity on the break. He had uh, Zardes running off of him, going against um, two defenders, and then a really excellent goalkeeper in Sean Johnson, but was able to round him. And Colorado pulling a draw on the road against an incredibly good New York City team. I think has to be praised pretty highly. Absolutely. Um, yeah, seeing this game and seeing the way that um, NYCFC played, I mean, it looked like a traditional NYCFC performance. The The interchange uh, between the forwards was tip-top as ever. Um, Keaton Park started this one uh, on the bench. Uh, they, they did mention on the broadcast that he had just gotten married, so congrats to him. Maybe that had something to do with it. Um, but it looked like a good NYCFC performance minus the finishing. They just couldn't quite find the finishing touch at the post a couple times. Uh, Tati with a great strike that hit the bar and just didn't uh, go across the line, uh, came the wrong side of the uh, the line for Tati, um, and NYCFC kept it level. Um, and it just it, it looked really good except for that product in and around the box. And... You know, like you said, kudos to Barrios in Colorado taking the chance that was given to them. Barrios is just, he's such an energetic player. He's quick. He's all over the place. But I think you can also say um, that Colorado handled NYCFC on the road about as well as you could probably hope to. You know, when you have millions and millions of dollars of attacking talent coming at you from all sides, it's kind of hard to deal with. But it took a brilliant ball and a heck of a finish from Tyus Magno uh, to get the goal in the end for NYCFC to level it up. Um, Colorado, good performance. NYCFC, good performance. And not an undeserving draw. I don't think, though, NYCFC is going to be mad that they weren't able to take all three, Andres. Yeah, and, and actually, so I have, I have some thoughts on, on Colorado and their tactics, and I'm a little bit perplexed. Um, Colorado's been super interesting tactically all throughout the year. They've you know, they've traditionally played like more of a 4-3-3. Um, and then when Jossi came in, they were playing with Rubio on that second three line. Um, and in this game, they played a super defensive. They called it a 3-5-2, but it was more like a, you know, a 5-3-2. Um, and then the three in the middle were Acosta, Mark anthony Kay, and Jack Price which are all either sixes or, or, or eights, right? So you're talking about a pretty defensive structure, and it worked really well throughout the whole first half, and they really limited chances outside of that one um, Tati hit the crossbar moment. Um, they really kept them under wraps. And then at halftime, I'm not sure if Price got, got hurt or what the reasoning was for the sub, but they brought John Lewis on and, and took Price off, and it became kind of a... You know, a three-four-three three or a or a or a five-two-three, um, and I thought, whoa, okay, that's um, 
that's bold, that's going to open up a lot of space in the middle of the park. Um, and maybe NYC takes advantage of that. Um, and actually then Colorado scores first. And I think, well, okay, that was a gamble. It worked out. They're, they're up one nothing. Um, and a couple of minutes later, you see that, you know, there's not really any pressure on Maxi when he, when he puts that ball in, um, take nothing away from the finish, you know, where it's off the chest and, and everything. But you wonder if they had had more of that defensive structure that they had earlier in the game, if that ball doesn't, doesn't come in. Um, I thought Robin Frazier got the tactics absolutely right at the beginning to face NYC, add NYC, the way they've been playing. And I'd love to hear what he has to say about that kind of switch in the second half, what, what the reasoning was behind. Um, it seemed to, in the end, they got a draw out of it, so it, it didn't work out horribly. But it was a, a subtle change that I, I, that I found really interesting. Yeah, I, I am in love with Frazier's uh, uh, decision to go to a two-striker setup because I, I think, in particular, it plays into Diego Rubio's hands. Uh, we didn't see him in this match, but uh, his ability to move off of another striker can be so, so, so dangerous. And this is something that we're going to maybe touch on in out in L.A. I think that we're starting to see a few more two-striker setups come back in vogue across the league. We've seen it now in Philly. We see it now in, uh, in Colorado. It's going to be interesting to see how the defenses across the league adapt to that slightly different shape. Generally, it's been very much a three at the front with two wingers, but seeing those two strikers play off of each other is going to be just a fun tactical uh, look across the league. Yeah. Uh, I was trying to think about other two strikers, maybe towards the end of the crew when they tried like for one or two games to play um, uh, Barry and Zardes together. And that didn't go that great, but you're going to see more of that with Zellerion and uh, Hernandez playing off of each other. Yeah. That's where I think it's going to be an interesting uh, combination. I mean, this this weekend they played her with Hurtado and Barry up front in a two-striker system also. So, yeah. yeah. I, I, I think, a good shout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, just because, like, they had, like, those kind of two-strikers and Hurtado kind of coming in there um, at the end of Zardes' tenure. Uh, I, I think it is interesting, um, and particularly the way that Colorado plays, because, like, Barrios is... He can play that kind of nine, but it, in reality, he's more of a winger, more of a shiftier player trying to hit you with the pace. He's not a traditional nine in any sense. Um, so kind of having that, th- then being able to, you know, Giassi try and do the hold up stuff, the traditional nine stuff, Barrios kind of finding the space underneath is certainly interesting to me. And I'll see if they continue it um, with Diego Rubio coming back in. Does he swap in for Barrios and they kind of go back to just a traditional two nine setup? Either way, I was... Andres, you mentioned tactically, so I was watching, you know, more the first half, less than so in the second half, but in the first half, kind of a tactical setup-wise, and the thing that, yeah, was really striking is, you know, it was basically the three guys up top doing whatever pressing they could in Acosta, like, Acosta being that third, sometimes joining in, but Mark Anthony K and Jack Price were holding the heck out of the middle, and it was a five. I think at their best, at their most free, at least, Colorado, um, with... Rosenberry and Estevez bombing up the wings, contributing to the attack. That is kind of where they're at. You know, trusty kind of the ball playing center back. If there is a ball playing center back out of those three, um, and K contributing as well to the attack. Th- there was none of that this game, and I don't know if you can fault Robin Fraser because he got a point against the teams that not many teams post uh, CCL have gotten or have been able to take points off of. 
So fair play in that. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. It was interesting and in seeing how just how defensive they played. And then Maxi had a couple balls um, towards the end there, the assist, and then there was also one to Tati after uh, it was 1-1 um, to try and make a 2-1 that Tati just couldn't quite get on the end of. Th- there were a few moments there, really, um, at the end of the second half when it looked like NYCFC had a ton more space in the midfield to try and operate. Um, but yeah, a super interesting game tactically, and I think NYCFC, if they repeat this kind of performance moving forward, it's going to probably end up in three points. But, you know, Colorado has good defenders, a good midfielder, and they were able to tough it out. Matt, do you see anything more in this game? Yeah, I just wanted to note one thing. You touched on uh, Maxi and then a little bit on the wingers. I think that the real challenge that Cushing is going to have to figure out coming into this New York City team is finding ways for his wingers to create more scoring opportunities than they are currently. Right now, so much of that chance creation is being done by Maxi for those players. And I just, I think that they can't be reliant upon uh, uh, getting up there in age, Maxi Morales, to set up, you know, 15 plus goals of the season. I think he's going to do it for another couple of years, probably, but they need to start figuring out another way to go ahead and start generating those chances. I think that they found that a little bit more coming, you know, at times from central uh, position, but a, a lot more from uh, wide positions with Tyus Magno. He's been an absolute revelation. We saw him score. I saw him score live in person, unfortunately, against my union in the Eastern Conference final. But he came on as a substitute, was more just a, a role player in that game. He has been absolutely standout this season. Um, the, the, the What was it, five or seven stepovers? In the, uh, I think it was like at the seven-minute mark, he took... Um, it might have been Rosenberry or it was an outside defender, took him by line, hit him with a couple step overs and put it right on the head of Tati. He just couldn't generate enough power to make it dangerous. But we're talking about a player who's been incredibly creative, has produced the goals and the assists. He, he's been all over the place this year. But I agree, Matt, in that in terms of that central traditional number 10 that they play when they play that 4-2-3-1, they don't have another guy in there right now. Maybe you think that, you know, between Magno, Santi Rodriguez, Tiago Andrade, maybe one of those guys can kind of pick up that slack. But Maxi is just so good at what he does. I can understand that kind of trepidation in in terms of when Maxi goes or if there's a cliff or when he just, you know, transfers away. What what happens? Um, That is a little bit of a hole right now. I wouldn't be overly concerned, but I can understand that concern um, if I'm NYCFC. Andres, do you share those concerns? Do you want to touch on this game anymore, or we can move on? No, I, I think I think I think we about covered it. Um, I I think at one point NYC maybe saw Santi Rodriguez as as filling in that role, and, and now they have him more out wide. So it'll be interesting. I have no doubt City Football Group will find um, if it's not already in in the club somebody to to take that role at some point. And you're right; they need to do some succession planning, but I don't think it'll be this year. So. Yeah, we'll we'll see down the road. I think they're they're okay for now. Yeah, that's kind of the way I, you know, when Maxi leaves, that's a discussion that we can have. Until then, he'll be dropping dimes over the uh, defenders' heads to Magno and Tati. This game finishes one one. NYCFC uh, still top of the East on fourteen games. That's two games in hand over the next place team in the Red Bulls. Twenty seven points for them. And uh, for their Western Conference opponents in this one, it's uh, Colorado on 19 points and in ninth place, uh, 15 games played 
in the West. So a little work to do for Colorado and for NYCFC. Still sitting pretty. Um, still sitting very pretty uh, at the top of the East. Um, for my game that I wanted to touch on, uh, you know, in more detail, I was... Well, we, we've touched on the fact that I am an Austin believer uh, so far this season. That belief wavered maybe a little bit, but not that much as they hit uh, kind of the tougher patch of games. They created a little bit of adversity for themselves in this one, but came out of Montreal, which is a very tough place to play, where not many op- op- opponents take all three. They came out of there with all three points uh, with a 1-0 win. That was about as scrappy as you can possibly get, um, particularly the goal by Maxi Rudy. He essentially bundles it over the line, but however you can get it done, I guess. And they, they come out of Canada with all three. And despite that you know tough run of uh, schedule that we were talking about, they're still third in the West, fourth in MLS as a whole, and only on 15 games. I don't know quite how this happened, but... They came in with the the same setup as we had normally seen. Owen Wolf starting this one, um, on the right. Uh, he's he's been an interesting player. Obviously, son of Josh Wolf. We'll kind of see how he develops. He was with the USU 19s um a couple months ago, and so you know we'll see what he develops into. Drusy didn't even have the most magical of games. He didn't have the Sebastian Drusy performance that we normally see in this one, and with um. Danny Pereira getting a red, uh, getting um, two yellows, I guess, inside of 45 minutes. They were stuck on their heels basically the entire second half. And yet, they found a way to create enough attacking opportunities and got the goal. Now, let, let's make this 100% clear. Montreal should have won this game. They had multiple, I mean, as close to tap-ins as you can get. There was one that flashed right across the Kai Kamara, wide open on like six-yard box. Puts it right at Stuver. Nothing that Stuver could have done, but puts it right in the breadbasket. There was one where um, Romel Kyoto didn't start this one, came in off the bench, and had a, I mean, as good a look as you're going to get, ball bounced in the box, fell right to his feet on the six-yard box, and somehow managed to put it wide, kind of never got good contact. Some of the crazier misses I've seen in a game um, in a long time. And yet, I mean, no complaints, I guess, if you're a, uh, Fan of the Verde and Black, they came. They come away with uh, all three. Um, and I mean, I don't know if this says more about Montreal or Austin. That's something that I guess we can touch on. Matt, I guess I can start with you. Did you watch this game? And what do you think of this one? You know, moving forward, as Austin find a way to get all three. I wasn't able to watch the game live, but I was able to run through the highlights and then do some reading on on what was going on. And I do want to say that this is a little bit more about Montreal uh, struggling for, for me, because I think that Montreal is really, really feeling uh, Georgie not being in this lineup. I think the opportunities that he tends to create are almost always going to be finished. He just sets uh, strikers up on a plate to have an easy tap in. I think that he's really, really dynamic in his ball progression and I'm I'm looking at the at the passing network and past the midfield line, Montreal was really really struggling to move the ball. Um, so I I I still think that Montreal is a very good team. Without Georgie, I think that they have some real questions that they need to answer, and they they need to find some way to start getting more service past the midfield line. 
that I can agree with. This game, honestly, like tactically and kind of the way in which we perceive player roles was kind of a weird one because when you play an entire half up a man for Montreal, a, a lot of those lines become blurred and it becomes more just like, how can we get the goal in this case? And they should have gotten it on multiple occasions. Um, it didn't necessarily come from, you know, the midfield at all times. And I think it is hard because when you play with, you know, the two kind of central players as Victor Wanyama and Sam Piet, that isn't Georgie, right? We're not talking about players that are going to, you know, create a ton from central positions. Those two are more holding, you know, maybe I'll give you uh, kind of transitional midfielders, but not what Georgie can give you in terms of just magic and, you know, creation with the ball at his feet by any means. So... you, really, you it's know, it's the ahead. it's the lack of production that we're seeing from I think the role that's really being covered right now by Miljevic, uh, by Torres. There's just there's not that that ball before the goal. There's just not that that last pass that they've just struggled to find in those in the last couple of weeks that they've been out. Yeah, I I I think I might be slightly you know mean to Austin in my commentary. Yes, on this one is just because. They they did 100% of what they could. They started to get broken down, um, you know, towards the end when they were just defending for their lives. But they were able to produce some opportunities. Um, and there was one, a particularly good one. I think it, was, it came to either Driussi or Aruti. I think it was Driussi um, on the, around the 80th minute mark that a beautiful ball served to his head at the back post. And, you know, many times you see that converted and it, he just didn't do it in that position. And that would have put them 2-0 up. Both goals in that case would have been, you know, down a man. And that would have really sealed it. Um, so they were able to produce some stuff um, in this game uh, when they were uh, down a man. In the first half, it looked pretty good. They had stretches of, you know, possession. Um, but they were never really able to create as free-flowing and as many, you know, beautiful opportunities as we have seen in some games and yet uh they they come out of there with the win montreal though like i said uh if you guys haven't watched this game i'm not gonna say go ahead and watch it but maybe watch the highlights because montreal will be scratching their heads how did one of those chances at the very least not find its way over the line andres again did you watch this one what did you see in this one i'm not sure this is you know exhibit a improving that austin is for real but i mean it's hard to argue with third in the West at this stage after playing kind of the gambit that they've had to go, uh, go through recently. So I did watch the game, um, but I think you guys did a really good job of, of covering pretty much uh, all of my thoughts uh, on the game. I thought one, you know, Montreal was pretty rotated um, in terms of, you know, they didn't start Kyoto. They didn't start Alistair Johnson. Kamal um, Miller was out. Of course, Georgie was out, which is you know probably the the biggest the biggest key. Um, and yeah, and and I thought even even then, you know, they had, like you mentioned, they had chance after chance. Um, and Austin went down a man. Um, and hats off to them for for getting the three points. But I think you know the general feeling that you guys have touched on about this being more on you know kind of Montreal lacking. Um, and then really a signature performance from Austin, I think, I think it's right. Um, but at the same time, you know, sometimes you need these sort of results um, to get you where you want to be at the end of the year. So um, pretty much echoing what you guys, what you guys thought um, on this one. Yeah, I, and we haven't really touched on Austin in a ton of depth since we had that kind of Austin debate 
I forget what there was a few debates like we had in that one pod a few months ago. Uh, but since they really entered that tough stretch, it looked bad initially, right? Lost to the Galaxy, lost to Real Salt Lake. Then they beat LAFC away, drew Orlando City in that kind of game that they were at home. Orlando had two red cards, and yet they weren't able to get the win. Uh, we talked about that on the pod. I remember that. Then they lost again to the Galaxy. Um, and so they haven't necessarily handled the stretch as well as you would have hoped if you were talking Austin or MLS Cup contenders. That was never my point. I thought Austin was always in that kind of the tier two. They were never MLS Cup contenders, but, you know, second round of playoffs maybe in my mind. Um, they, they come out of the stretch, if you include this game against Montreal, uh, they play Dallas and then Charlotte next. Um, uh, two wins, a draw, and three losses. Two of those losses coming against the Galaxy. So, you know, kind of a little bit of everything in there, but not playoff hope crushing, not um, n- not seventh place, got to play LASC in the first round, or not LASC, but whoever that second place team would be in the first round, and then kind of always, you know, being the underdog in the playoffs. Um, it-, it looks okay right now for Austin. Uh, for Montreal, we because we've touched on Austin a ton, Montreal sit fifth right now in the East, despite the loss, 23 points on uh, 15 games played. It's okay. Um, and I think by looking at this game, looking at the teams around them, I think that they're a pretty safe bet to make the playoffs. And if they're able to get Georgie back, the way that they were playing before, Georgie obviously got that injury. Hope he's okay, obviously. Um, and his national team hopes obviously were crushed because of that injury as well. If he's able to get back to kind of the MVP level, which is a tough ask, obviously, but this team should be fine and could potentially pose a threat in the playoffs. Um, Matt, I know Georgie's your guy. Can you analyze this team kind of with Georgie? What can they hope for? And with uh, and then without Georgie, kind of where they are now, how can they kind of you know steady the ship until they're able to get their star man, uh, their star man back and inform? I uh, it's it's a tough one. I think that with Georgie. We're talking about a team that's challenging, not just for, for playoffs, but for home playoff games. Without him, I think that they're really looking at that six to seven spot range. Uh, and the reason being that I think, or is that I think that without Georgie in that, in that lineup, you're forced to sit back a little bit more. You're forced to try and work more on the counter than on the ball. And that a lot of times means that you're playing Wanyama and Piet uh, together and you just do not get the same creativity that you do. Um, and it, it just becomes a significantly more defensive game, whereas if they have him, they're able to play on the front foot. It's really, really quick attacking soccer, and I don't see a lot of teams having the the right uh, setup in order to, to stop him. I think that Wilfred Nancy is still absolutely going to have them in the playoffs, but I think it's it's a difference of if they're playing at Stad Saputo or they're playing at Red Bull Arena. Yeah, if any of you guys read uh, Backhield, I occasionally do. Um, Snaves at Snaves on Twitter. He's a he's a funny guy, a uh, good writer. He did like a kind of a home like the toughest places to play kind of like a like half satirical article. Um, but he included the like the you know the actual winning percentages. And like um, away and home winning percentages, you know, forgetting draws, and you know, can all the Canadian teams and Montreal in particular had one of the lower 
away win percentages in the entire league. Like, it is tough to play a Montreal despite the fact that they're not one of the best teams in the league. They're not in that tier A or maybe not even in that tier B. But, they're, you know, playing in Satsuputo is just so tough to play. I think, like we talked about, just to say it for the up- umpteenth time before we move on, the difference is Georgie and his creativity, especially when he's feeding Romel Kyoto. When that connection in particular is linking and Wanyama and Piet are covering the ground in the midfield and the back three slash five is kind of doing its job, they are contenders for a home playoff spot for that fourth, maybe even the third, but I will certainly say the fourth spot. When he's not there, they turn into a team that they they don't have a ton of reproducible ways of finding goals. Um, and that was pretty clear in this one. That they kind of came from, you know, you kind of crosses, you kind of half chances, but not a ton of Georgie driving, occupying zone 14, finding slip balls to, you know, one of the better strikers in the league. It, it just becomes a little stale after a while. Um, and that was what Montreal was fighting, kind of that staleness. How can we be a little more creative? And they weren't really able to break through um, in the end, even though they probably should have come out of here with all three. But, you know, Austin pulls off the 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 rare win in Canada. Um, it sees them, like I said, sitting fourth in the league, third in the West, and Montreal sitting fifth in the East. Maybe touch on one or two more games. Uh, one I particularly wanted to hit on because of the uh, news dropped uh, by many people. Tom Bogert um, had this as well, uh, that Cucho Hernandez from Watford uh, has made the transfer, has made the move over to Columbus. This, uh, I, I forget who it was had been teasing this. Is like, you're going to have no idea. Like, no, like You guys are all going to be so surprised. I am legitimately surprised by this because I saw basically nothing saying that Cucho Hernandez was going to be a uh, a member of the crew, and yet here we are, where um, the striker from the newly relegated uh, Premier League side um, is going to come to Columbus. At Watford, he was not ever really the guy. Uh, Manuel Dennis and Ismail Sar were kind of the attackers ahead of him, uh, and but and both those players, by the way, are. Probably, you know, I'm I'm talking the vicinity of 30, 40, in, in, in Ismail Asar's case, maybe $50 million players uh, in terms of their age and just their explosivity um, and their young talent. I think for Cucho Hernandez, that that was tough having to play behind those two um, just because of how good they were on a team that wasn't that amazing at any point in the season and deserved to get relegated. But we're still talking about a Premier League level player coming to Columbus I guess we can touch on that transfer and then kind of feed into the um, the, the game itself, uh, uh, the game against Charlotte, which was not amazing for Columbus. Do you guys have any you know opinions on this transfer? Because it is one more attacking piece to the puzzle of a team that already has a ton of pieces, including, like we mentioned, Hurtado, Miguel Berry, and Lucas Zilleran. Andres, I'll start with you. What are your opinions on this uh, new transfer? I think he can obviously contribute. You know, it's hard that a Premier League player could not contribute to an MLS squad. But how much and in what ways do you think? Yeah, so I, I'll admit I haven't seen a ton of him at Watford. Um, but like you mentioned, you know, the, the level which, you know, at, at which the Premier League is at, you would expect, you would expect good contributions, especially from, from a striker. And that's, you know, the one position where I think Columbus was really struggling 
at one point you would have thought, okay, you have Jossie there and you have up and coming Miguel Berry, um, and then you know a solid MLS, um, you know veteran in Hurtado. That's a position of strength. Um, but unfortunately, and it seems like Caleb Porter has felt this way for a while. You know they don't see it that way, and it's not really working out that way. So, you know, this is a team in general that if you wind back the clock, you know, 18 months, we were talking about defending MLS Cup champions, you know, one of the deepest um, defending teams that we've had in the league for a while, um, all the way across from, you know, back line, midfield, through the attacking positions. Um, and it's just not worked out for the last year and a half. So a splash had to be made. Um, I think we all kind of saw that coming when Zardes was traded that they needed they weren't going to just run out Miguel Berry and, and Eric Hurtado for the rest of the year. Um, I wasn't expecting 10 million, so you know that's maybe a bigger splash than than we would have thought. But it seems clear that that they felt it was it was needed. Um, and with the amount of talent that's still on that roster, you hate to to let it go to waste um, by not being able to to, to score chances. So um, I'm glad that they they got one across the line. I won't pretend I know a ton about the player other than kind of what his pedigree and, and age is. Um, hopefully he's he's a big contributor. Yeah, I think this is going to be pretty massive to to the layout of the East going forward um, because I this is one of the first times that we've seen what we're talking about is a 23-year-old French Colombian national team player coming over from the Premier League this is a different style of transfer that I think that we've ever seen. So massive props to Columbus for, again, like you guys said, getting across the line. Um, now I'm really interested to see how this affects their shape. He has played almost as that like internal winger uh, for Watford and the handful of games that I've, I've seen him play. Um, very, very goal dangerous. Not going to do the same defensive work that you would expect from a, a, somebody like Giassi. Uh, and so I think that having this transfer in the works probably allows uh, Caleb Porter to make some of the comments that he made about Jossie earlier this year, which I'm still kind of, uh, again, flummoxed by. But uh, this is going to change the way that I think Columbus is setting up. I still like them playing with that two forward with Zellerion right underneath. Um, I would love it even more if uh, Archer was still healthy so that you could have that midfield of Archer and uh, Morris and then Nagby somewhere floating in there too. But it's going to be interesting to see how this all gets incorporated. 100%, 100%. He's a Colombian um, international player. He did get called into the last window, didn't play uh, in their friendly against Saudi Arabia. Um He's an interesting player. Uh, didn't start a ton for Watford last year. If we look at his, um, uh, his just his Premier League uh, minute numbers, he started 11 games. He played 25 games. So over half his appearances coming off the bench, played 46 minutes a game, right? He, he, he was essentially, he played half the, he had half the game most times. Um, and yet his uh, goals per minutes ratio was the highest on the team. Scored five um, in, uh, in the Prem. So not... A horrific player by any means. We're not talking about you know a a bench player or a reserve level player. We're talking about a player who was able to contribute at times to Watford. Now this is a team that went down without much you know contention at all. 
Um, they were they were down many games before uh, the last day. But hey, you know he's 23 years old. Like you said, it's a different kind of transfer. We often talk about these young transfers coming in. You know, Tyus Magno coming in from Brazil, Santi Rodriguez, uh, I believe uh, Argentina or Uruguay, one of those two. I, I forget um, exactly. Uh, Tati, obviously, um, a young gun. Um, we're, we're, those are young players coming from South America, kind of you know have, building a pedigree down there and coming to MLS. This is a player who's played in the best league in the world. Now coming to MLS, it, it's a diff, like you said, a different kind of transfer because of that kind of developmental path. I think is interesting and it, it's different to touch on. Um, certainly exciting uh, for me. Uh, I think, like you said, the shape is an, it's an interesting point. Um, we'll see what it what they can do because I I doubt that they were buying him thinking let's let's bring in another nine because if unless he's gonna if he's gonna play an out and out nine which I doubt that means that you have to get rid of one of your nines that you already have you've already gotten rid of one of your nines this year already why would you do why would you bring in two why would you bring in that him as a nine get rid of one nine or another nine right like it just doesn't make a ton of sense to me at least. So bring him in as a winger, let him kind of function in maybe that half space kind of area, um, and, and maybe fill one of those Yao Yaboa, Derek Etienne roles. The interesting thing is, though, Yaboa coming in, um, kind of being one, one of those players that they really wanted to kick off this year because of the contract and everything. Maybe he'll come in for Etienne then. He has to start. He clearly is at that level, but I don't. I think it's it's definitely a work in progress when you guys say. I mean, you guys have touched on that well. I just this is more a work in progress than any other kind of transfer because you know, Insigne just slots in as a winger. Chiellini just slots in as a center back if he's gonna start. With Cucho Hernandez, there's more variables there of what can go on. Absolutely. I this is gonna change the way that they set up and there's just there is, despite the the kind of eh results. There's a ton of talent in that Columbus team, and especially looking at that midfield that you have Aiden Morris, you have Artur, and you have Nagby probably fighting for two spots. Uh, and so it, it, it's going to force some decisions to be made. Yeah. Um, I, I'll just briefly touch on this game that they play versus Charlotte. It was a 1-1 draw. Uh, Shinashiki continuing his rapid form for uh, Charlotte after coming in from Colorado. We were all happy to see him uh, kind of start to make his mark in Charlotte. He uh, scored the equalizer after Hurtado opened the scoring in the for, uh, 41st minute, excuse me. Um, so a 1-1 draw in that one, a little give and take both ways. Charlotte continuing their impressive form. Um, but I, I think if we look at the way that Columbus came out and lined up in this one, it w- it looked, at least to me, um, and, and the players made it represent like it was either kind of that, like the 3-5-2 maybe a little bit of a, you know, Etienne coming in as more of a winger, but definitely that two-striker look, and then Morris, Nagby, and uh, Ibakemi in the midfield. So I think there are different ways that you can line up, certainly, uh, if you're Columbus. But I think the interesting thing is, like we were talking about with that two-striker, do they keep a two-striker? Do they go back to kind of that um, 4-3-3 hybrid kind of with Zellerion never really dropping back in the midfield? Um, and having like those wingers do the work um, defensively as well. Lots of different ways to play it. Um, but there's just so much talent. It's kind of hard to see it 
not starting to produce results. And yet, uh, for Charlotte, they sit in 11th place on 17 points. Plenty of work to do. Um, uh, and for uh, their opponents, at least in this game, with Charlotte, they still sit in the playoff spots. Still one of the better expansion team sides uh, so far um, in MLS history. We'll see what they're able to do. Unless you guys have more in that game, we'll hit one more game, and then we'll touch on the Open Cup if that's all good. Got to head out of here in a couple minutes. Um, I think, for me, a very interesting storyline that was brought to my attention by you, Andres, is this kind of Miami weird visa thing that went on. Do you want to touch on, do you want to touch on that, uh, Andres? Because I didn't see this until you brought it to my attention, and now I'm extremely intrigued about it. Yeah, so I don't know the details on the on the visa situation exactly. Uh, there was more than one player. I, I was trying to think which other game also had somebody with with visa issues. Actually, Phil Neville, I think, um, had trouble coming back into the country on some visa trouble. Um, but in in this case, it affected Miami in that Gregory was was out for the game. I, I'm not even sure if he's in the country. Um, and he is their standout single pivot um, number number six. And so. Not having him in the game meant that uh, John Mota had to come back from from one of the two eights into that six role, um, and then it meant that Robert Taylor, who's been playing as an out and out winger, had to come back into the into the eight role. So basically, moved everybody one line back. Um, and unfortunately, you know, four minutes in, um, you have Robert Taylor in an unfamiliar position with his back to goal. Um, you know, as an eight, trying to play back to his back line. Um, and that's that's the ball that leads to, to Jose Martinez um, basically stealing it 18 yards out, finding Araujo, Araujo for, that, for that first goal. And then 20 minutes later, you know, Mota sees double yellow in like three minutes because he's playing where he, he's not normally playing. So essentially not having Gregory due to some unknown visa issue um, pretty much... Um, costing the game. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I think that's extremely interesting in that those two players, the two that were most affected by uh, the kind of having to switch around, are the ones that you know produced some of the errors that led to their loss. Like you said, um, all that going down inside thirty minutes. Um, Joseph gets the uh, second goal on about the hour mark. Um, kind of a reverse of the first goal. It was out uh, from. Joseph, vice versa. Joseph scoring off Luis Araujo's assist um, to nail the final in that one. Now, I think the interesting thing to me is that Inter Miami was able to produce some attacking threat in this game. It was some set pieces in the first little bit, but like it, Atlanta started to dominate more as the second half went on because when you know you're down to ten men in the way that Inter Miami are, it's kind of hard to produce anything. Uh, similar to the uh, Montreal-Austin kind of situation there. But, I mean, Miami didn't look that outmatched for the first, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. Then it started to get more out of hand as that, you know, the red went down. But Atlanta, I want to see them take more control of the game. I do. Like, I, I, I want to see them have a little more possession, a little more domination in this game where you're a playoff team it's time to start taking the initiative. And I feel like until that red card went down and even a little bit after that, until really half time, they never quite took the initiative in the way I want them to do. Obviously it's tough, 
you know, Nagby isn't there anymore. Uh, some of those players that were locking it down for them and, you know, the MLS Cup years weren't there. Um, but I still want to see them have a little more domination, at least when it's all, uh, when it's 11 all in terms of players. Matt, do you see that same kind of thing? But I mean, at the end of the day, they, they did win 2 0. Yeah, I, I think you are right to bring up, though, that Atlanta is not playing all the way up to their ceiling. And I think that there's a very, very good reason for that in that their spine took a real, real hurt or, or just just is too injured. Uh, not having uh, Miles Robinson, not having Ozzy Alonso. It, it's difficult. And I think that you're seeing some players step up. You're seeing uh, Campbell step up. You're seeing Hindman step up. But there's there's not replacing two players, a legend like Ozzy or an up and coming uh, product like Robinson. So I, there's still more that Atlanta can do, no question. But uh, hope to, hope to see a little bit more from them before too long here. And in this game, I mean, they they were also without Sosa and without Mateus Rosetto, um, and of course they're out with they were without Amada. Due to suspension, but for me with Atlanta, it's, there's so much talent on that team. Is can they keep them reasonably healthy? Um, because I think if they if they are, they're they're a top three team in the East. At least talent wise, they're clearly a top three team in the East. But it just seems like whether it's the catastrophic ones or these little you know niggly type injuries that uh, just doesn't allow them to come together and really have a good run of form because guys are coming in and out of the lineup. Um, the good news for Atlanta is Joseph, you know, is back. He seems so good healthier. to see him scoring. And, you know, as as Joseph goes, Atlanta seems to go. Um, so that's huge for them. Hopefully they can kind of keep him and, and everybody else a little healthier than they have been. Yeah. Yep. A hundred percent. You know, it's been a little stop start. Atlanta hopefully being able to get back into it after Joseph has come back again. Hopefully he's able to continue to score because when he's on, he's one of the more fun players in the league. They are one point out of the seventh playoff spot with a game at least in hand over all the other teams um, and actually a positive goal differential uh, inter Miami on a negative nine goal differential. So there's been a little a little difference in those uh, two teams, at least, you know, kind of those raw numbers uh, inter Miami actually in 10th place, just one uh, place below Atlanta on 18 points through 15 games. So these two teams may be heading in different directions um, with Joseph back. Atlanta is going to really be looking to make a push into the playoffs as, like I said, they're only a point out um, of that final playoff spot. That's pretty good, guys, in terms of the MLS games I wanted to cover. I'll quickly touch on Open Cup before we get out of here because there was that absolutely amazing upset last night as uh, Sacramento Republic takes down LA Galaxy 2-1, deservingly so. The uh, first goal was one of the better counterattacks I've seen at any level recently. Um, forget, you know, MLS level, uh, you know, the second division team was able to produce a beautiful uh, little move that ended up producing uh, that final goal or the first goal for them. Uh, LA Galaxy answered in kind just a, a few minutes later off a corner kick. And then Sac Republic got the goal with about 20 minutes to go to seal it a long range effort, I think, by Luis Felipe. Um, so that's about all there was for that game. But hey, uh, two more big games tonight and one big game next week. It was, it's an all-MLS matchup next week. Uh, but that uh, one is kind of the ba- on the back burners. We have the Hudson River Derby and the battle of, hey, Matt, it's your teams, man. It's Union Omaha versus 
uh, Sporting KC. That one I, in particular has my attention. Does it have yours the same way? Absolutely. This is, it's starting to grip the Midwest here, or the Great Plains, depending on who you are. Uh, obviously, a Sporting Kansas City team that is coming off of a good result, but over the entire season is struggling. Uh, I think that if Sporting KC is looking past Union Omaha at all, they are making a massive, massive mistake. There are a couple of game winners on that Union Omaha side, and if you don't pay attention to what they're doing, I'm thinking of Kamatani, and I'm thinking of... um, Oh, goodness, I'm going to forget his name now. Uh, The left winger. Uh, They're going to burn you. And so we've seen LA Galaxy look past uh, Sacramento, and this is what happens. Also, Jonathan Klinsman... Come on, man. That that uh, second goal never should have been, even been close. But here we are. That was unfortunate. I don't, yeah, that it probably should have been saved just because of the distance, right? It was a beautiful hit, enough power to make it, you know, a, at least contentious. But I mean, it really should have been parried away just in terms of we're talking a 30-yard strike at a bad angle. Um, you know, yeah, kind you of, saw it late, but you've got to have, you got to yeah. have better reflexes than that. That's... You, you just got to get help. down a little bit sooner. And there wasn't like crashing defenders. So it wasn't like he had to worry about pairing it outside of the goal frame either. He could have just, he, he could have put that two yards in front of him and still been able to cover. Um, so that was unfortunate. But yeah, I, I can't wait for the game tonight. Union Omaha trying to be the first third division side in a while. There haven't really been, you know, distinct tiers in American soccer for the longest time, uh, for, a, for a very long time at least. Um, only more recently have we seen kind of those distinct, you know, first tier MLS, USL champ, then USL League One, MLS Next Pro kind of be that third tier. Um, so a really great opportunity for a third tier side in Union Omaha to maybe just maybe sneak into the big dance in the final four. Um, that'll be extremely exciting. That one's going to go on at Children's Mercy Park tonight at 830 Eastern Time, 730 Central, where that game's going to be played. Should be a ton, a ton of fun. I can't wait to watch how that one unfolds. And the game starting 30 minutes earlier, 8 p.m. on the East, is we had El Trafico in the last round. We have the Hudson River Derby in this round. The Red Bulls hosting NYCFC. I want to see both teams put out the full lineups. That's what happened in the Trafico last time, and we and it you know produced a, you know one that felt like we could actually put it down in the kind of history books as this was an official Trafico. I want this to be an official Hudson River Derby because these two teams at the top of the East, you know, their league form is really good right now. I want to see these two teams square off in the cup in a 90 minutes. Winner goes on to the next round in the semifinals. Loser goes home. Matt, that's that's got to be the sentiment, right? We want to see these, the best of these two teams. Absolutely. I, I If I'm going to, you know, uh, prognosticate a little bit, I like the Red Bulls in this round. And reason being is that New York City has to wake up tomorrow and start planning for a game against a very, very good Philadelphia Union side. So I think that you're going to see a little bit more rotation from New York City. I think that that's probably going to give just a little bit of edge to the Red Bulls. I, I want to see as good a game as possible just because we know how at, the be- how, excuse me, at their best how good these two teams can be. I want to see that play out because we haven't gotten to see that a ton of late just because I feel like 
one of these two teams more recently have been down and we haven't gotten a really, 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 you know, good Hudson River for a while. Um, this is for, probably the first time that this is the marquee matchup in the right, East. Right. Like, th- like these two teams are where it's at. You know, in the past, you know, the Red Bulls were running away uh, with the league, you know, points record. NYCFC, a good team, but slightly behind them. Red Bulls had kind of been, you know, bottom of the playoff spots. They were seventh place last year. Had kind of been, you know, down towards, you know, the end of the playoff spots more recently, even though they had been making it. And NYCFC had been flying. This is this is the one. If they both put out their full lineups, this should be an absolutely great matchup. And then Orlando and Nashville next week. We can talk about that uh, when we get there. But yeah, two really, really good games of the Open Cup tonight, and I can't wait to see how those play out. Two derbies, a Midwest derby, Great Plains derby, and obviously one of the more established rivalries in MLS in the Hudson River derby. All going down tonight, um, Wednesday night, that is, in the U.S. Open Cup. That's about it. Thank you guys so much for listening. It was a really, really big MLS pod today, kind of a... You had to be a nerd to stick through this one. If you are still listening now, I'm so, so grateful for it. I might not be hosting this pod next week, so stay tuned on updates for that. Um, But there will certainly be an MLS Bench pod next week to recap another big weekend of MLS action. So definitely stay tuned for that next Tuesday or Wednesday. Hopefully that should be coming out. And until then, thank you guys so, so much for listening. Enjoy life. Enjoy the beautiful game. And we'll see you then.